Business owners are cluing into the fact that Bitcoin is here to stay, but its adoption is only about where internet adoption was in the mid-90s. In other words, there's still a ton of upside and opportunity. If you want to learn how other business owners and entrepreneurs are using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses so that you can too, stick around at the end of this episode to hear the trailer for my newest podcast, Business Bitcoinization. And now, on to today's episode. You're listening to the Life as Leadership podcast. Are you looking for motivation and encouragement on your path to becoming a better leader? If so, you've come to the right place. Keep listening to find a community of leaders committed to learning and taking action to improve their world. The Life as Leadership podcast, where leaders gather to grow together. Here's your host, Josh Friedemann. When was the last time that you got out into nature and were challenged in a way that really tested you? Our guests today have written a book, and they are bringing stories of people who have challenged themselves in the wild and distilling lessons on leadership from these stories. Now, our interview is a little bit longer than usual today, so I want to get right into this and introduce you to our two guests today. The first is Amy Posey. She is a leadership facilitator, keynote speaker, and former CEO of the AIP Group, which is a leadership development firm that combines insights from the adventure, science, and business worlds for unique and effective leadership training. Joining her today is Kevin Vallelie, who is a leadership facilitator and the expedition manager for the AIP Group. He's a world-class explorer and leadership mentor, and he's a member of the Elite Explorers Club and was honored as an Explorers Club flag recipient for his expedition to the Northwest Passage in 2013. In 2009, he and two teammates broke the world record for the fastest unsupported trek to the geographic South Pole. Together, they've written the recently released book, Wild Success, Seven Key Lessons Business Leaders Can Learn from Extreme Adventurers. Here are Amy Posey and Kevin Vallely. Amy and Kevin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Joshua. So I'd like to start off every interview with a few questions that help us to get to know you better as leaders and give us some insight for our own lives. And since we have two people today, Amy, I'm going to have you answer these questions first, but I'd like to hear from both of you on these. So the first question is this, what is some lesson saying or experience that continues to influence your leadership to this day? That's a great question, Joshua. And it's funny because I managed to weasel in a quote that um, means a lot to me and to the book. And so Kevin and I had this long discussion about the the quote that finishes off the end of the book. And so it's it's really about being in nature and what nature can do for us in so many different ways. And so we end the the quote the book with a quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson. So I'm I'm a big geek and I'm a poetry geek and I'm a brain geek and and this particular quote is from Walden and it's it's just about going out into the woods and living deliberately to look at the facts of life and and you know thinking about who you are more holistically than just who you are at work or at home. And so um, I kind of went back to my own sort of literary roots, and I was a poetry major and a a literature major in college, and and this, the idea of just being outside and being in the woods has always stayed with me, and I've always thought like, oh, I could, I could be like Thoreau and jump out into the woods and Mm. live in a, in a small house in a pond. It's not my life, but I could do it, and so um, part of it is sort of thinking about things that are broader than yourself. And so the the quote is, I went into the woods because I wish to live deliberately, to front the essential facts of life 
and see if I could not learn what it had to teach and not, when I came to die, discover that I had not lived. And so uh, it's one of the ones that I've lived a lot of my life by because I like to get out into it. And and that's really uh, a piece of who I am. How about you, Kevin? Well, you know, uh, I'm a, I'm an adventurer. Uh, I've been for the better part of 20 years and uh, really step out into these wild world uh, so often and, um, and gain inspiration out there. And for me, that first happened and I first started to discover that I, I grew up as a, uh, as a uh, inner city kid in Montreal, Quebec, Canada, with parents that came over from Ireland and didn't have, um, we didn't even own a car. Uh, they didn't understand the out- outdoor world in any way like I do uh, now. And uh, I found that back then, my greatest escape living in downtown Montreal was to hop on my bicycle and I would ride my road bike out into the wilderness or out into the countryside wilderness for me at that time. And it was, uh, it was the beginning of an understanding of that's where my greatest inspiration was. And it's when I was stepping away and getting out into something a little bit different. Then uh, the countryside was adventure for me. And uh, now it's become much more wild and exotic, but it's still the same feeling. And uh, really the biggest takeaway for me is this uh, reality that my greatest inspiration happens when I step away. If I'm stuck on something, no matter what it is uh, in life, is to take a moment, uh, in a sense, having a deep breath and uh, stepping away and uh, getting outside. And the power of that, I think, is, uh, is, is really quintessential to what our book is all about, is this wild wisdom garnered in that adventure world outside. Use three descriptors to finish this sentence. A leader is... I think it's hard to do it in just three things, but it's a leader's a lot of things. And I think the definition of leadership is is shifting and changing, especially now. I think it's becoming more broad, um, more diverse. And so when I think about and, and to use the lens of myself, it's, you know, what is the type of leader I want to be? And I think it's about having empathy for others and the people that you lead. It's no longer sitting on high and telling people what to do or trying to command and control. I think a leader is courageous because oftentimes you've got to do and say the things that nobody else wants to do and say. You've got to drive that direction and to be able to put the stake in the sand. Um, And the, the third one, I think a leader is thoughtful. I've seen a lot of challenges in leadership happening from People just not taking that extra second to think about something, to contemplate it. So I think uh, a a true leader these days has to have a lot of thoughtfulness and and to be considerate um, of others. So those are those are the three I would say today, empathetic, courageous and thoughtful. Well, my uh, my three would be uh, a leader is a is a, a mentor. A leader is a teacher and a leader is an inspiration. Uh, For me, a leader is very different than a manager. Uh, A leader is something far greater than that and is someone, frankly, that people will follow, uh, people believe in, and uh, people will learn from. What is a question that leaders should be asking either themselves or others? For me right now, and and I I say right now because I I do think we are in a pivot point for leadership and good leadership. I think uh, leaders should be asking themselves, how emotionally intelligent am I? Leadership, the tough stuff on leadership these days is really about being able to be 
self-aware and to relationship manage more than anything else. And I see a lot of people struggling with that in the work that I do with companies. And so I feel like being able to just stop for a moment and have the self-awareness of understanding how emotionally intelligent you are or aren't, and then taking the steps to work on it. Um, it's one of those those skills I think are are we can all work on for the rest of our lives and never be experts. And so that's the the question I've been asking a lot, both of myself and of leaders that I work with. Mine would be simply why. Why do you uh, do what you do? Why are why are you leading? Uh, why are you doing uh, what you've chosen to do? Your purpose behind that, but fundamentally, um, why? And reflecting on that, and it's something. As I get older, I have uh, those moments when I I really think about that purpose, legacy, and really uh, trying to understand uh, this kind of crazy voyage that we're on. It's why we're on it. Ultimately, you have to be on it because you want to be on it, and understanding why. What is a book that each of you would recommend to leaders? I've been consuming so many books in the process of writing a book just to get different perspectives, to hear the voices that are out there. And I actually have two that I've read recently that may not be sort of on the the bestsellers or the top of the bookshelves, but were really impactful for me. And they're um, more about inclusion. So Jennifer Brown's How to Be an Inclusive Leader is an outstanding book for everybody who is grappling with sort of the fact that we all have to be more inclusive leaders. And she's just really tactical on how to do it. I admire her work an awful lot. And so she she just points out and asks some really tough questions. Uh, the other one is Invisible Women, Data Bias in a World Designed for Men. Um, that one was, uh, and that's uh, Caroline Corrado Perez. She's... Um, got stats that are surprising. And so those are those are kind of two leadership books. But the other piece is I think people should read more fiction. And and I shout from the rooftops, like reading more fiction books makes you more empathetic. And so I hadn't been reading fiction for a while in the process of writing the book. And now I'm back on to reading fiction and just things that give you a bit more perspective. I just finished Where the Crawdads Sing, and that's a that's a really good read um, and has taken me on an interesting reading path. But I I love books and reading. Again, book nerd. <laughs> I'm totally on board with the fiction train. I, I think that there's a lot that people can learn from fiction. And sometimes everyone thinks that nonfiction is the way to go to learn things, but there's so much that we can pick up from reading good fiction books. So Kevin, what would you say to this question? You know, it's interesting. There's a number, of course. And actually, we were talking and one of the transformative books for me, we were talking earlier is uh, is Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. It's, it's one that I uh, read as a, as a teenager and and started me very much on my journey to where I am today. And it's funny that you had brought it up earlier as we were talking, but it was something that was in the back of my mind. And there's been a number around that, but uh, you know, there's one called One Crowded Hour by Tim Bowden. It was also a, it's a, it's about Australian um, uh, war journalist and photographer Neil Tavis, who was uh, unfortunately killed in in the, in the line of his work. But again, it was this one glorious hour of of life is better than a lifetime of, of meaninglessness <laughs> is really what it gets to. Um, but it's Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance for me. It got me on my journey when I graduated university. I was debating on whether to travel through Europe by bus and train and 
and so forth, or to uh, actually bicycle across Europe. And it got me thinking about uh, doing that and how you experience life. It began a journey that I've been on, I suppose, for the last 30 years, is that you have to get out there. You have to get out in the, in the wind and the rain to fully understand where you are. That was something that inspired me, and I think it uh, has uh, percolated into everything I've done uh, moving forward. If you could get every listener to start doing something this week to help them be a better leader, what would that thing be? This one's super easy. Get outside. I mean, Kevin and I are definitely advocates of of being outside because what it does from a neuroscience perspective and a thinking perspective and an innovation and a health perspective, there's so much just being in a green space and it doesn't have to be you know, far and wide. It doesn't have to be in the outer reaches. It could be a local park. It could be, you know, a playground. It doesn't matter. But being able to get outside and get moving um, helps with so much of the stuff that we struggle with in leadership when we're stuck in our cubicles and our offices. Even even tricking yourself and looking at a green space and checking out a screensaver that has some trees on it. It's about giving your yourself those periods of rest and recovery so that you can get back at it as a leader. And so um, I know Kevin and I both are very, very focused on making time for this in our weeks. And I, I didn't always do that. I spent 10 years grinding as a management consultant, and I don't think I saw the sun for probably a couple of years. But I just realized how much more healthy, happy, productive I am when I'm outside and I'm moving and taking care of myself. When I when I sort of put my oxygen mask on and take care of things, I can help a lot of other people. And so I think most leaders put themselves last and that's not that's not the way of the world these days. So getting outside to me is one of the ways that's super easy that you can jumpstart many different things, both in your, your brain and your physical health so you can be a better leader. You know, mine is uh, is quite similar to Amy's, uh, and it's just taking care of yourself, of course, along the lines of getting outside, but it's uh, exercise and, and eating well. And it's interesting. It's, uh, again, it was uh, it's something I discovered when I was quite young back in university when a, a close friend of mine passed away uh, uh, during uh, during school. And at the time I was overwhelmed by uh, working so hard in school, trying to do well. And, and I uh, made a big change in my life then and said, you know, uh, school is not that important and I'm going to balance my life a lot better and work a little bit less. And, uh, interestingly in, in working less and balancing my life, in fact, my, uh, my marks improved. So it was a real, uh, aha discovery for me is that, uh, if you take care of yourself, you balance your life well, in fact, everything is going to do better in the end. So uh, the number of hours you spend on something is not necessarily mean it's going to be better. It's just how you take care of yourself uh, and spend effective hours is, is the most critical thing. And that's a real insight for me and uh, one that's conveyed in the book, in fact, as well. So I'd say that's it for me. Take care of yourself. And finally, we have our arbitrary but insightful question, which is this. As a general life principle, is it better to ask why or why not? I'm in the camp. I mean, it was funny because Kevin's question was just why. Um, I'm in the camp of why not. Uh, very similarly to Kevin, I lost someone about the same age he did. Someone very close to me, my older sister, passed away. And since then, I mean, that's a life-transforming thing that happens to you. And I, I was 17 at the time. And so part of it was it, it shifted my entire perspective on the world. And to be that young, to have that happen, you just sort of say, life is really 
short and I don't have all the time in the world. And so to me, it's always been a, hey, why not? Hey, let's go here. Let's do that. Let's try this out. And whatever comes, you can learn lessons from it and and grow from whatever experiences that you have. And and Kevin, I joke a lot because I'm, I'm a why not. And I tend to take um, lots of sort of last minute spur of the moment trips because I, as a someone who loves to see the world, it's always a why not. You want to go here? Why not? And so that's, I've definitely lived by the why not philosophy. And Kevin, earlier you gave the answer why. Yeah. Would that be true for this question here as well? Yeah, it is. It is. No, and I, I agree uh, with Amy. Absolutely. Uh, why not? It works powerfully. And that is my that is my personality. Uh, I tend to just kind of go for it uh, instinctively. So uh, in a way, I that's become less of an important thing for me. It's almost more important. Why am I doing it? Ultimately, uh, I'll do a lot of things and I'm willing to uh, give it a go. But then I like to reflect on why. Why am I doing this? Why is this? Why is this? Uh, connecting me, with me in some way, or, or maybe more importantly, uh, why am I really doing this? Maybe I shouldn't, and I'll move on to something else. And sort of having that moment of reflection on what's important to me and what's maybe not that important to me. And you need a little bit of time to do it. So the why not comes easy. Uh, the why is for me is the more important question uh, as to why I'm on a on a given journey and re- having that moment of reflection why I'm doing it. Now, Amy and Kevin, we are here today to talk about your new book, Wild Success, Seven Key Lessons Business Leaders Can Learn from Extreme Adventurers. Now, Amy, you might be able to speak into this a little bit, but Kevin, I'd like to start with you on this first question. How did you two team up to write this book and what drew you to writing a business book using extreme adventure as the focal point in the first place? Well, uh, Joshua, this is what we do um, as as uh, leadership development trainers. Uh, we both work uh, for a company called the AIP Group, which uh, Amy at one point was the CEO of. And we had an opportunity. What we do is, as part of our business, is connect the wild wisdom garnered in that adventure world back to the boardroom. So it was an easy fit for us. Uh, we're surrounded by among the best athletes and best adventurers in the world who are our colleagues on our team. And it just was a natural fit is that this is what we talk about all the time. Uh, and this is what we share with with business leaders um, in our day to day work. So for us to actually write about it was, uh, frankly, natural and easy. So it's something both of us have uh, wanted to do to write a book about what we do. I had the opportunity to write a book several years ago on uh, one of my expeditions across the Northwest Passage, but that was much more of a uh, that was much more of an environmental book and really a um, a book for um, making a statement about the changes happening in the world today. This one I felt people could learn from, and it was a wonderful opportunity for Amy and I to come together, each bringing our uh, expertise, uh, which in many ways are similar but uh, a little bit different as well. Uh, uh, Amy has a deep knowledge in neuroscience, of which I learned a lot through this book as well, but uh, drawing upon that was incredibly important. And I have uh, some deep insights on adventure, having uh, been an adventurer for 20 years, and I hold world record uh, to to the South Pole, um, and a number of things like that over the course of the years, is that I have a deep understanding of what it means to be... um, a world-class adventure and what happens in those environments. So I think we were really mutually beneficial uh, to have each uh, each of our experience in writing this book. 
And to add to that, I mean, Kevin and I have been working together for about five years at AIP and have had a lot of chance to just have thoughtful discussions about leadership and nature and the brain and all the different worlds that we sort of think about. And in fact, have been on a couple of adventures together, one to um, Baffin Island in the Canadian Arctic, High Arctic, in which we went with a group of 11 and traversed Baffin Island in early spring uh, two years ago. And temperatures got to minus 40, which is where the scales meet, both Celsius and Fahrenheit. So had a had an opportunity and have had a couple of opportunities to really work together out in the wild to to kind of codify and think about what are the things that people can learn, not necessarily from taking on these really epic and extreme adventures, even though there's a ton and we highlight that in the book, but even just the adventures that we're on and sort of to, to take and look at and examine all the different things you can learn from the wild world. We've both been really passionate about it. And so we had the chance to kind of put our heads together and write the book and, and had such fun and, and keep talking right now about like, okay, what's the next one? Because that was that was actually a good time. We thought writing a, writing a book like this might be challenging with two people and it turns out it wasn't. Now, Amy, Kevin just mentioned that you have a background in neuroscience. You actually have a master's in neuroscience from my understanding. How did that factor in to your writing wild success? It factors in quite a bit because I didn't want to write a leadership book and give advice that wasn't sort of practical, but based in something else. Because I think, and I've read enough leadership books out there that are good, but you kind of want to dig deeper and say, well, why does human behavior dictate the way we do things? So why isn't there some science and some experimentation behind it? And so to me, it was really important not just to take the neuroscience angle or performance science angle, but it was also important to take the most recent science because in academia, you know, there's so much science happening and I think the business world doesn't sort of see, always see the value of it. So to be able to be a translator to take the scientific findings that I'm reading in these in these journals and these publications from studies, especially the really interesting studies that are happening very recently, and and translate into those practical activities or what, what we can learn from it and how we can adjust and adapt our habits and behavior to be more productive and effective. To me, that was really important to be part of the book because I think a lot of our adventurers that we profile do that. And so how do you translate things that you know inherently or science behind it? And it gives people a why, a why to experiment and a why to to trust you know, the advice that someone gives you. And so that research piece um, to me was super important. And you know, I, I spent most of my time and most of the research in the book is from about 2012 and onward because that's just the the latest in what we know and and this research is evolving super quickly and and uh, you know there's a lot of controversy here and there with pieces of research and so it was important to me to to do that homework and it became incredibly important to bolster those stories to really give good science-backed advice but also teach people about their brains a little bit more because uh, every audience that I talk to it's we're consuming this neuroscience that's out there and a lot of it's pop neuroscience a lot of it's good neuroscience but we're consuming a lot of it because we don't know and there's a lot of questions around our behavior and what stems you know why we do the things we do and a lot of science can explain that and so I was really passionate about bringing the science to the table as well as the performance research 
But it was funny because Kevin and I both noticed that we sort of overlapped in areas. And so at first he was sort of writing more of the adventure story. I was writing more of the science and research. And by the end, we were contributing very equally on both. And so each chapter now just is a nice blend of both of our voices, which I thought was really cool and a really interesting thing that happened while writing. We both got sort of smarter and more nuanced in the other's sort of key area and were able to contribute fully to each of the chapters. So that was an awesome part of writing the book. And in your book, you highlight seven stories of different adventurers, and the seven lessons are cognitive reappraisal, grit, growth mindset, purpose, innovation, resilience, and personal sustainability. I'd love to hear from each of you, starting with you, Amy, what is your personal favorite lesson from this book, and how does it relate to leadership? So it, it's, it was hard to actually narrow down to just seven because there's just so much to learn from these sort of ordinary human beings doing extraordinary things because each one of these stories isn't sort of about uh, a He-Man or a She-Ra, you know, the Adonis that goes out and just conquers everything. These are really normal humans. And so for me, Personally, I've been on a bit of an innovation kick um, for the last seven or eight years of my life. I have been living in Silicon Valley for the last 15. And so I've been super fascinated as to how do these big ideas come to fruition and spent my master's thesis was actually on the neuroscience of innovation. How do how does the brain actually come up with new and novel ideas? And so I was probably most excited to write about the innovation piece. Um, and the, the story behind it is of Rex Pemberton, who innovated his own career as an adventurer. He was a Everest summiteer by the age of 21, uh, climbed all seven summits by the age of 23, and has since, um, now in his late 30s, evolved his own career as an adventurer and now does wingsuit flying and actually is building a, a jetpack to put on his back. And so uh, we talk with him about, you know, how does the innovation process happen? What does failure look like? What what happens when you have the the naysayers and the haters out there? And so what does your your brain need to really think about achieving those big dreams? It it has struggle that goes along with it. And I've always been a fan of people's sort of perceptions and perspectives on failure and struggle, because we still don't talk about our failures as a necessary component of success, but everybody has them and, and they're a critical piece. And so I wanted to sort of share this person that on the surface just looks like he's got everything going for him. And, and in a way he does, but he doesn't ignore the fact that he had to struggle to get there and people um, crack on him all the time for taking these risks and, and doing these crazy things. But at the end of the day, you as a leader have to really think about your risk tolerance as well as, you know, what you're trying to achieve and to keep those big dreams alive and to keep innovation going. So I, I probably had that one in my head and had written and thought about the, the topic of innovation so deeply that I was excited. And that chapter certainly came the easiest and is one that I think is one that people can really think about their own perspective on risk and innovation. What would it be for you, Kevin? Well, I mean, uh, to be honest, I have a chapter in the book. <laughs> it's about balance and personal sustainability. But, you know, uh, and that's such an important thing to me, of course, and it's really charted my life. But 
everything resonates with me in the book. And another one that really resonates with me is, is growth mindset. This concept that, that uh, challenges and setbacks are in fact opportunities to grow and learn rather than things to prove that we're not capable and in fact that we're not worthy. And it's an interesting one because this, I kind of grew up in a way, uh, as I was saying, with a, uh, in a, inner city kid uh, in Montreal with not a huge amount of opportunity at first, or it felt like that certainly among my peers, though my parents made sure we had tons of opportunity uh, going forward in terms of education. But there was a lot of fixed mindset around me is that this is the life you're in and this is the life you're going to lead. And yeah, I don't aspire to anything necessarily more uh, just in the context of where I was growing. And I've been fascinated by that over the years of just having a growth mindset. And this willingness to sort of step out of it and learn and be whatever you can be. And uh, we profile uh, Matt McFadgen uh, in the, in this in our book. And Matty is such an incredible guy who, uh, from a very young age, again, very similar background to me, quite humble background growing up in Australia, uh, decided not to pursue university education. And it would seem like this he was on. He was charted for a, a journey of um, working hard labor. And that would be it moving forward as everyone else around him was and but Maddie wasn't uh, didn't believe in that of course and uh, proceeded at a very young age to become a sailor of, uh, of renown and really a world-class sailor uh, sailing to Antarctica and back and across the southern ocean one of the nastiest bodies of water in the world and out there he nearly died he nearly died his boat flipped and um, he came very close to losing his life and and then he charted a new course uh, becoming a polar explorer and essentially two years after that found himself at the north pole and uh, proceeded to uh, ski there three separate times and uh, his journey is truly amazing basically putting his mind to something that seemed outrageously impossible for a young australian to be doing these things but he did anyway and now uh, he's a celebrated uh, speaker and a leadership trainer uh, that I work with. So it's fascinating. And I love the idea of this growth mindset. And I feel that uh, most of us just don't give ourselves the chance. Uh, and we and we don't really embrace it as much as we could. Now, Kevin, in this book, you bring adventure lessons to leaders. Could you give a quick 60 to 90 second pitch on why leaders should take advantage of adventure opportunities and seek out adventure for their own lives? Well, yeah, I can because uh, I live it. You see, uh, the wild wisdom garnered in the adventure world is as pertinent to the adventurer as it is to the business professional. And the reality is that uh, to perform in that wild world, you have to understand what it means to really perform. Uh, your life depends on it. And to do the things that these adventurers do in this book, to be world class at what they do, well, they're demonstra uh, demonstrating traits uh, in living that uh, we all can learn from be it in business, be it in our daily lives, is that these are amazing world-class people that demonstrate unique, incredible skills that uh, we all can learn from, and it'll benefit all our performance in, in whatever we do. Now, Amy, at the beginning of the show, you mentioned that there is this pivot point for leadership. Could you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I, I've noticed probably in the past five years, uh, there's been a lot more change and tumult in the world and that leaders have to be more adaptable, but also more inclusive of the teams that are with them. I think we've taken a more humanist tone to leadership lately. At least that's what I'm seeing. And I'm happy about it because um, I think things were different 10, 15 years ago. You just sort of showed up, you showed up, you did your job, um, you got things done, you did results, you got a bonus check and you kept going. And so now I'm seeing much more of a 
a purpose-driven leadership, which makes me thrilled. And so needing to really think about, you know, we're spending so much time and effort on our work, our jobs, the world's becoming smaller, really, because we're so global. You've got to work with so many more different people and organizations and partner differently and collaborate. And that requires people skills and, and deep people skills that most people don't get. <laughs> you you don't get a class in emotional intelligence in your MBA program or your undergraduate program. You sort of learn through life. And if you don't have good mentors and if you don't have um, good colleagues to help you, and, and if you're not thinking about it or pursuing it on your own, you're not going to be successful. You're certainly not going to climb to the ranks of leadership that you need to. And and with all of the, the news stories about ethics and dynamics that have happened, I, I think things are changing. And for the for the better, because there's so many of these stats around having more diverse corporate boards, more diverse leadership teams, more diverse C-suites, there's a sea change that's happening and that diversity means that a lot more voices are, are able to be heard, but also accepted as forms of leadership. It no longer has to be this sort of one size fits all. And so I'm seeing this happen and it and it makes me excited and it makes me think about, you know, the people that we've profiled. Again, ordinary people have great potential and can do so many things. And I think these adventure stories sort of re, reframe that for humans, but also the adventures that all of us are on, you know, we've got our own story to tell. And so part of it is really thinking about what are the skills and capabilities that you need to be a more humanist leader, because that's what our world needs kind of right now. So it's it's great to see, but it also comes with lots of unknown struggle and mistakes that people are going to make because it's new for all of us. And I I think that's, that's part of it, that all of us can come with that perspective of we're in a very great opportunity to learn and grow with each other. Kevin, in your bio, we read about how you broke a world record, and I'd love to hear a little bit about that trek and some of the things you learned through that experience. Well, yeah, uh, you know, and uh, interestingly, what I learned about that experience specifically was uh, uh, that was kind of easy. It sounds crazy, but uh, it's the preparation to get there. You see that uh, I had this dream of, of skiing to the South Pole since I was a kid, and uh, I progressively worked myself to get there, uh, garnering the experience um, in the in the wild world uh, in order to be uh, in order to be selected to go on a journey like that. We put together uh, a team that was um, uh, arguably the three strongest people to do that in Canada at the time, and uh, lots of experience. And myself, uh, Richard Weber, one of the greatest polar explorers, if not the greatest polar explorer in the world. Uh, Ray Zahab, uh, one of the greatest ultra runners in the world, a uh, credible uh, guy. And uh, I was fortunate enough to be asked along on the team. So when we actually went to do it, we expected we'd break the world record. It sounds a little crazy, a little bit arrogant. Uh, it, it has been broken since, though we still technically hold the uh, team record to the pole. But that doesn't really matter because at the time we we had this team together and we went into the unknown and the previous fastest time was 40 days. So we brought 40 days of food. We were committed to the process saying we're going to do this thing. And we did it in 33 days. So, uh, you know, we kind of went there with that expectation. We would have been disappointed if we hadn't done it. But really, the most important thing for me was the fact that I had an opportunity to ski to the South Pole. And it was a dream I had, honestly, since I was a nine-year-old kid. 
this crazy journey uh, that basically uh, I held on to for over 30 years and managed to do it and succeed at it, uh, which is incredibly fulfilling and empowering uh, as a journey. So that's that's where I realized there was something. You see uh, where uh, there's something out there about how do you hold on to a dream like that? How do you stay resilient like that? How do you go through the ups and downs and remain positive? And I could go on and on with all these aspects because adventure distills it down. Uh, when you're out in that environment, if you make a mistake, you could die, right? This is serious business out there. So you have to be as honed and as good as you can possibly be to function and perform uh, at the highest level. And that's what we've come to realize, Amy and I, is that uh, in order to perform out there, in order to perform and break a world record, you have to know what it means to be part of a high-performing team. You have to understand what it means to perform at your best. And that's what we're distilling down in the book. Well, Amy, and Kevin, thank you so much for joining the show today. I feel like we've just scratched the surface, but hopefully people have seen the value of this book and some of the insight it can bring to their own leadership. Before we go, could you share with people how they can connect with you and find out more about you and the work that you do? Sure. So uh, the website that we're at is morewildsuccess.com. We'll be posting lots of interesting things there. We're on social media at Wild Success, um, on Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter, LinkedIn. You can connect with us on there. We're also going to be doing some virtual book clubs on Facebook, which we're really excited about and connecting with people, just sort of doing regular reads of the book and, and telling sort of the stories behind the stories as well. Yeah, the only thing I would add there is uh, the company we both work with, the AIP Group. Uh, you can hit up our website as well and get a feel for the work that we do. And that's at uh, just uh, the AIP Group. All right. Well, Amy and Kevin, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Joshua. Thank you, Joshua. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and I hope you're encouraged to think about what it would be like to get out into the wild more often for the benefit of yourself. Now, let's go ahead and get into today's three key takeaways. The first is that challenges and setbacks are an opportunity to learn rather than things that prove we're not capable and not worthy. When challenges and setbacks come your way, how do you think about them? How do you react to them? And how do you let those things inform how you view yourself? Do you view them as indications that you are not capable or not able to do something? Or do you view them as opportunities to learn? The second thing is this. Learning to perform in the wild world requires you to really perform because your life depends on it. Very rarely do we get put in situations where our life truly depends on it. But when you are, that's where the rubber really meets the road. And so finding yourself in those types of opportunities really brings clarity to the moment. And the final thing is this, to function and perform at the highest level, you have to be prepared at every level. This means being your best both as a team and personally. You can't just show up ready personally when your team's not ready. You can't just show up expecting your team to carry the day when you're not ready. You need to be sure that you are prepared at every single level in order for you to function and perform at the highest level. Now, at the beginning of next week, we're actually going to have another podcaster who has a very successful sales and business podcast of his own, and he's going to be sharing about the importance of content-based networking. I think it'll be something that will encourage you and challenge you to pick up your game a little bit in that area. So I hope you'll join us then. And until then, keep living and leading well. Thank you.
Hey, thanks for checking out this trailer for the Business Bitcoinization Show. My name is Josh Friedemann, and I'll be with you each episode interviewing business owners about how they're using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses. You might be wondering about the name, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about the show and who it's for. Unless you've lived under a rock for the last decade, you've heard of Bitcoin by now. And if you're like me, you heard about it a while ago, but didn't do anything about it until the last couple of years. Then one day, for whatever reason, it finally clicks. And after that, you enter the Bitcoin rabbit hole, as they say. And the deeper you get, the more you see the value of Bitcoin. But you know, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you don't know much about Bitcoin, but are interested in learning more. Either way, this show can help you. Each episode will introduce you to an executive or entrepreneur who's using Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth, to improve their life and their business. So, what's with the name? Well, it's a play on the term hyper-Bitcoinization, which is used to describe the eventual rapid adoption of Bitcoin as other currencies get weaker and weaker in relation to it. When you compare a seemingly never-ending supply of dollars to a hard cap of 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist... It feels like only a matter of time until hyper-Bitcoinization happens. The good news is we have the opportunity to be on the front lines of creating a new and frankly better system. Whether you're already sold on Bitcoin and it feels like I'm preaching to the choir, or you're curious to learn more, business Bitcoinization will help you understand how you and your business can be prepared to take advantage of the massive productivity and wealth that Bitcoin will enable. If business Bitcoinization sounds like a show for you, go ahead and subscribe. Obviously, you can subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using right now or go to www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. Once again, that's www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. I'm looking forward to sharing more soon. And until then, keep living and leading well.